Welcome to this week's episode of the Radio Oedipus podcast, the podcast where we explore the culture of beer, and I'm your host, Danny Walker. This week is episode number 33 in the Radio Oedipus podcast journey, and this week is all about swapping the pyjamas in the home office for a set of old clothes and the great outdoors, because we're going out, onto the farm. Back in November, I was invited by the director of Mindstadstown, Sam Roofs, for a cup of mint tea to check out his work at the city farm in the town of Van West district of Amsterdam. The day after, we both escaped the cold as Sam agreed to join us in the studio for a chat. Sander joined us as well, who has been growing hops with Sam at Mindstadstown for the past few years. On the show, we talk all about his role and work at Mindstadstown, whether he is a farmer or not, how to fix broken food systems, the Slow Food Youth Network, and of course, why it is valuable to Sander as a brewer to grow his own hops. The podcast is brought to you by Oedipus Brewing, and if you want more information on the podcast, head over to our website, oedipus.com forward slash radio. But for now, here's this week's Radio Oedipus podcast. A warm welcome to Sam Roos. How are you doing, mate? Thank you so much. I'm great. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. You are the director of Mindstadstown, a city farm located in the west of Amsterdam. Yesterday, Sam invited me to join him on the farm for mm-hmm. a, a cup of homegrown mint tea, which was <laughs> delicious. Uh, we chatted a little bit about your work, and I'm hoping to dive into a bit f- uh, into that a bit further today. Um, a small a moment for the beer we're going to drink today. We have all have a, a pink can in front of us, uh, which is by a brewery called Doll from nice. Copenhagen in Denmark. It's Implosion, it's called, and it's another non-alcoholic beer because it's still November and I'm not drinking alcohol. Um, yeah. Have you drank this one before, Sander? Um, I think not. I think not. I've tried a couple of alcohol-free or low ABV beers from uh, Toil, um, but I think this one I haven't had. 0.3% ABV, so almost zero. Almost. Uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Also, it's supposed on, to be uh, crisp. Yeah, looking forward. Yeah, that's the only thing that you yeah, that well, it mentions, eh? Crisp yeah. and uh, flavor, crispiness and flavor. Yeah, but no style for the rest. Not nothing no. like IPA or talking about hops or other ingredients. That's yeah, because the one we had last time that did say non-alcoholic IPA, didn't it? Yeah. So we expected it to be pretty hoppy. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Roast. But Sam, I'd like to talk about your role at Mine Stadstown, of course, mm-hmm. and I'd like to ask you why do you think it's important that people connect with nature again, especially in a city like Amsterdam? Uh, uh, that's a good question. Um, I think it's mostly important that people connect with food and nature. Um, since we grow apart from uh, our food nowadays, um, in and around Amsterdam, you have a few farms, mm-hmm. but of course, back in the days, it was more common to uh, grow your own food, know mm-hmm. the farmers, you mm-hmm. get the food from. Um, and for me, eating local uh, and eating seasonal is uh, a solution to a lot of problems that we have that mm-hmm. we are facing right now. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about Mindstadstown then. Uh, how does it work and, and what do you do there? Um, yeah, Mindstadstown is uh, four hectares, so that's 40,000 square meters of uh, urban farming area in uh, the town of Van West. 
which is also a permanent urban farming area. And what we say is that we don't have the illusion that we can feed the whole of Amsterdam or even the MRA. Um, but we do truly believe that we can uh, educate people about food and eating and producing uh, sustainable foods. Mm. Um, and uh, we do this in three different ways. So we have our little kitchen gardens in which people grow their own veggies um, without using pesticides um, and only organically. They do, they do tend to use a lot of permaculture ideas, regenerative farming ideas. When you say uh, small people, is this just like one group of person for, for himself or is this like a supplier? Yeah, the, the people don't have to be small oh, <laughs> themselves, yeah, yeah. but the, <laughs> the gardens are a little bit small. They're uh, 50 square meters. And um, yeah, it's different actually. You have, you have a lot of families that do it. Um, for instance, we have a dad and who does it with his son and he can say he says oh son you can choose anything we do in this farm in this uh, in this plot and the, the the kid says oh i like tomatoes so they plant the whole 50 uh, square meters full of tomatoes and that's not the best idea but it is uh, a way of educating your kids i think about food we also mm -hmm. have um for instance friends that do it uh, together also to see each other we you have an, we have some like small companies or uh, restaurants mm. in around amsterdam that uh, like to produce some of their own mm. uh, veggies mm. um so it's really diverse actually what kind of people uh, are renting a plot of us uh, and also the reasons i uh, found out are quite diverse so people do it because they like to grow their own foods but people also do it because they like to be outside and uh, have a workout um, so yeah a lot of things and we what we offer is uh, what we call a garden butler mm -hmm. and um, that's Friso and we have some other people that help us as well um, and they are uh, all, there are a lot of times there and they can answer questions or even tend to the garden when people are sick or on holiday, mm -hmm. things like this. Yes. Mm. Cool. Uh, yeah. What struck me about our conversation that we had uh, yesterday is that, yeah, there was this, it, there was a big education kind of part mm -hmm. to it. You want to introduce people to uh, the food systems. I w wanted to know, is it, is it successful? Are, are you growing? Is, is more people coming down to Mindstadstown. Yeah, we're it's it's really successful I would say. Um we're we're full. Yeah. So we, we are not able to to take any more people. So we're also looking around of expanding and yeah. offering more uh traditional uh, educational things like uh, courses and workshops yeah. so that people can also garden on their balconies or in their own gardens. Um and people just to clarify people pay uh, to come and, and have a plot right? yeah exactly yeah, pay yeah. You. and we that's kind of how you that's how you would grow um yeah i would say we would grow if, if more people are educated about okay the subject but indeed if, if for instance now we have a waiting list yeah if we would be able to obtain a new plot somewhere in amsterdam or even another city mm -hmm. we would love it because we think if people grow their own food they will also eat more locally eat more seasonally mm -hmm. uh, waste less mm -hmm. uh, food so these are all uh, nice things yeah. to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So why, how would people waste less uh, food? 
Yeah, good question. Um, I myself truly believe that if you know how much effort uh, it takes to grow, for instance, one zucchini, you wouldn't throw away half because you don't want to know what to do with it or you only use half a zucchini for one recipe. Um, you would think of other ways to conserve it or use it in another dish or make a soup. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's by pay, it's that kind of uh, being aware of seasonality and paying attention to the seasons by that education. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, but also having more respect for the yeah. food and and in other ways for the farmer as well. Yeah. I uh, I once was at a, a convention and they would scrape out the, uh, the potatoes to fill them with something. And then the farm farmer came who... Uh, who uh, had the potatoes and he said, what did you do with the, with the, what's inside the potato? And they said, oh, we threw it away. And the farmer was super mad because he said, yeah, I put so much love and energy in mm. growing these potatoes and you tra- throw away half of uh, the potato. Mm. How can you do this? And I believe that if you have grown potatoes yourself or even have been close to it or know the people, know the person that uh, was growing the potatoes, you wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. For sure, yeah. How did you get involved then with Mindstadstown? Um, basically for the love of food. Yeah. Um, now for around, yeah, since I since I can remember, I've been loving it to read cooking books yeah. when I was really little, only looking at the photos and the, and the pictures. Um, and it evolved. I uh, worked in restaurant business during my studies um and i started uh, a catering business with uh, two friends of mine which was really more than a hobby than uh, than a way to make money and it got out of hand uh, got out of hand <laughs> got out of hand <laughs> yeah we were just cooking for some friends uh usually but then people ask oh, can you also cook for me and then someone came and okay i'm i'm, I'm having a shooting a film can you do some uh, catering for us and then we thought okay we should go to the Chamber of Commerce and uh, get a number for our, for our invoices. And uh, we got a website as well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it got out of hand, really. But it was a super fun experience to do it with my mates. And, um, uh, yeah, we, we ended up doing it for, for a few years. But I was also quite interested in... Yeah, I'm, I'm now going to the, to the big uh, food hall uh, things where you can buy all the, yeah, the, the, yeah. the big quantities. Um, and... Uh, thinking, hey, where where does all this food come from? Mm. Uh, I got more interested in that, and then I found out that you have an organization with this, which is called the Slow Food Youth Network. Yeah, yeah. Used to it, it used to be called the Youth Food Movement, but we changed your name a few years ago. And they have an academy, which I signed up for, and it was uh, an amazing experience. It mm. really changed my life, um, getting to know more people that are involved with food and also the acti- activism around that yeah uh, was was a lot of fun stayed there for a few years yeah. and uh, learned a lot yeah cool so it was just through uh the passion and love of food sure yeah yeah cool but um uh youth food movement <laughs> yeah so uh, food youth network nowadays oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah sorry uh they uh made you change your perspective or they gave you that insight like okay Eating within season, mm-hmm. <clears throat> locality, less waste. That's the way forward. Otherwise, or, yeah, no, yeah, they definitely. Or did you grow up with that? Did no, you grow, I, no, I, no, no. And 
Absolutely not. Both my parents hate cooking. Okay. Um, oh, really? <laughs> yes. Um, no, I was always interested in food. I don't know where it came from, um, but not in this way. No. No. Uh, we were eating uh, mostly uh, potatoes, a uh, piece of meat and some veggies mm. cooked. Um, so, uh, no, it was not from, from that background, but I, when I, for instance, started having this, having this catering business, yeah, I discovered that, uh, of course, some veggies are in the season way cheaper. So sure. you would, yeah. mm. you would usually pick that ones to, to cook with. Yeah. Um, and then when I got involved with Sven, I started thinking more and more about all the systems that are behind, uh, our food system, like all the. Yeah, for instance, the role of the supermarkets or the role of the government or the European Union in, in the Netherlands. Yeah. yeah. Would you call yourself a farmer? <laughs> you, you, you saw me uh, yesterday and I was like <laughs> looking around. Wearing uh, a suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I should clarify <laughs> With that. With my there clean was, boots over there. There was a yeah. very funny moment uh, <laughs> yesterday where uh, me and Sam were chatting uh, amongst the, the, the plot of land and he was about to call himself a farmer, but he actually looked around to see if anyone else was there. <laughs> or any not real to hear farmer. Him. Yeah, yeah, if any <laughs> yeah. real farmer was around. But, uh, but, but like, you, you, there's a big project and you uh, you were there with full outfit on and you're, you're, uh, you are growing crops and everything. I was wondering if you would call yourself a farmer. This is close as I would say. Um, not yet. No, not no? yet. No. Okay. But I would love to be one in the future when I'm old. Okay. Okay. Have your own plot of land. For instance, yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I wanted to ask, because um, I was just thinking as you were talking about your own personal background, mm -hmm. what sort of people do you find come to Mindstadstown? Is it people that maybe did come from a, a, a background or, or, or grew up in the countryside mm -hmm. and then came to the city for a, for a job or whatever? Or is it, yeah, what kind of people come? It's super diverse. Um, we have indeed people that have like a grandfather or a father or a mother that was a farmer and now they miss it. Mm -hmm. um, but we also have like these uh, youngsters who are highly educated and working behind the laptop all day and thinking, ah, oh, I should get more in touch with what I eat every day and mm -hmm. I want to learn this. Also, I know that quite a lot of young people are, are thinking like, hmm, how can I give more purpose to my life? And um, some of them end up also being more in touch with growing your own food. Um, but we also have, have, have people that are retired. Um, and, and yeah, I have one, uh, one story that I always like to tell is that we have uh, 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 an old man. He probably wouldn't like it if we say, I'm saying that he's old. But he <laughs> he thought of like, should I get a, a, a gym um, subscription or I get a farm, right? And then okay. an, or a plot, and he, he got a plot. Yeah. He's now coming almost every day, working for an hour, or an hour and a half. Yeah. And then sitting, enjoying the view, enjoying the the, the butterflies and the bees. Yeah. So that's really nice. Um. So it's yeah, it's quite diverse, diverse actually. Yeah. Okay. Well, would like are people interested in, in a sustainable food system then because from what you're saying it mm -hmm. sounds like some people are just going there for a small break because uh, and a lot of what you mm -hmm. do at Mindstads Town is trying to educate uh, and improve this uh, mm -hmm. system yeah are people actively in, interested uh, I am actually and I'm in, in it for this yeah. for for um, for fixing the broken food system that we have 
Um, and if people just come to work out, mm. um, I think it's even better because we can learn them more. Mm. And at my start time, we don't say, oh, you cannot do this or you can do this. You should mm. do it like this. We always say you can like, we have a so some ground rules like no pesticides because it's also affecting yeah. the soil and your neighbors, of course. But if you have any ideas, we would like to talk with you about this or get in touch and, and discuss it and share our vision. So we also have a, what we call a demonstration garden in which we show how you, how we can do it, how you could do it. Mm. Um, yeah. Is it enough to kind of grow and, and, uh, help promote sustainable food systems as much as you would like? Uh, what do you mean? Sorry. Yeah. I, 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 I feel like, um, we should, I, I don't know. I feel like a lot of what you're doing is trying to fix a, a food system mm -hmm. that is majoritively going towards a supermarket clientele, let's say, yeah. and we're trying to promote it to become a really strong food system. Mm -hmm. A lot of what you're trying to do is trying to fix a broken system. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just want to know how you would promote that, really. Yeah. Is so, it enough? Are, we, are you doing enough? So um, I only talked about now are the, are the kitchen gardens. Right, but we okay. have a second um, part of, of, of my Stadstein. And over there we have uh, ab about 10 entrepreneurs that uh, are there a lot and working their asses off. And the, the, the broken food system that we are talking of, for me, it consists of a few different parts. For instance, the big loss of biodiversity, the big loss of the quality in the soil, um, the wasting of, uh, of a lot of food, like one third of all the mm. food in the world is wasted, either by supermarkets, the farmers themselves, because we don't want to eat carrots that are too small or anything, but also by the consumers. Um, and we have the long chains. So both in food miles. So for instance, we get blueberries from Peru when they're not in the season, but also all the steps, um, food takes to go from the farmer to the plate. So uh, and the logistics part, but also the supermarkets. And this um, makes up the, the problem that uh, there are too much chains. So the, the, the profit doesn't stick with the farmer, but for instance, with the supermarkets, because they have a lot of power. And all these entrepreneurs, they uh, in a way uh, have solutions to fix these problems. So for instance, we have the Stadsgroenteboer, this is a CSA, so a community supported agriculture, and they deliver weekly uh, on their electrical cargo bike yeah. um, to 100 families, yeah. uh, 100 of their uh, their uh, harvest. Yeah. Um, we have uh, Lokale Bloemetjes, and that's uh, Sarai, who is growing uh, flowers that you can pick yourself, which is super good for the biodiversity. Mm. Um we have Groen Hartig. That's a guy who delivers directly to restaurants in town. Mm. So he skips the whole chain, mm. delivers directly to the restaurants. He can talk with them about what is up next week. Uh, I'm harvesting this and this next week. Are you interested? And they can already adapt their menus and stuff. So uh, we have a lot more really nice examples of people that are with uh, small businesses are fixing the, this broken system. Definitely. Yeah. I just still think that uh, it's it's always like a beautiful picture, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's what I found when I was there yesterday. Yeah. But I just wondered how, what it really takes to get uh, more people down there to do uh -huh. it because it is such a great idea. 
Do you, do you shop at the supermarket just out of curiosity? Um, I do every now and then. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but, but for my big groceries, I'm also involved with a food corporation yeah. called Voco Mokum, which is in the east of uh, of Amsterdam. And we're uh, around 400 families yeah. that are all a member of this corporation. And we get our vegetarian, locally organic food from in and around Amsterdam. So only from the north of Holland and the... Uh, North Oostpolder in Flevoland. And we go get it there ourselves with a car and we, we get some uh, cheese from uh, the Riddarmerhoeven in the Amsterdamse Bos and some eggs as well. These eggs are really nice, by the way. Oh, nice. Pro tip. Uh, <laughs> and um, because because everybody works there, we can have a... Uh, like everybody works for two hours a month or something. We can keep the, keep the cost real low and get our own uh, food outside mm. of the supermarkets. Mm. Yeah. What is and it about this group? Um, what is it about <laughs> the supermarkets that you guys don't don't like? What's the big problem? Would you say? In, in a in a sense, the supermarket is not a bad thing, I think. But because of the the growing, um, they have more and more power. In the Netherlands, you have um, five um, like offices that that trade all the food in the supermarkets and around uh, 14 formulas, mm-hmm. um, supermarket formulas. So, but you have like uh, 30,000 farmers and uh, 17 million people, like 10 million uh, households. So there's a, it's a, it's like a hourglass, you know, the farmers at one side, the consumers at one side, and everything needs to go to that small part of the supermarket formulas and the, and the, the, the offices that sell all these things to the supermarket formulas. And because of that, they have a lot of power and they can uh, say to a farmer, well, you have uh, all these onions, but uh, your neighbor wants to sell these onions for a little bit less. Or they can even say, oh, we don't buy your onions. Mm. And then what happens? They have a really low price. So I think supermarkets in a sense are really nice. You have all the food collected in one spot. Um, Toilet paper as well. (laughs) Toilet paper as well. Um, That's always handy indeed. Um, and it's and it's uh, in this way also really sustainable because you have less less movements, of course, mm. but they tend to um, uh, use that power for bad, mm. and that's what I dislike. Mm. But well, can you uh, change that? Would the supermarket ever be the platform where we're more direct? Or shorter yeah. food consumer chain. Uh, I think would... you have you can have like a cooperative supermarket. That would yeah. be that's one of my dreams actually, because uh, then you can also directly buy from the farmer, and you, you have more and more of these these things. For instance, in the Netherlands, you have Hofweb, uh, which is a cooperation of farmers. Uh, I think all around the Netherlands, but it started in uh, in the Flevoland as well, and then you can just. Um, sign up. It's it's all uh, uh, on the internet, and you can say, oh, "I want this, I want this, I want this." And the farmers, you, you buy it in advance, um, so the farmer knows. Oh, I have uh, uh, to. I've, I've sold uh, one thousand kilos of uh, onions or, or something like that, and he takes it from the earth and he sells it, uh, and they deliver it to your door. So that's a really low key uh, way of giving the farmers a more fair price. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking, and also this could happen in a supermarket environment as well. I heard of an initiative in the in the United States where they have a supermarket based on the model I just told about. So you have uh, not 
400 families, but 4,000 families and everybody does a shift in the supermarket. So uh, behind the counter or uh, filling up uh, all the groceries. Um, and uh, you have to be a member to buy, but they're they're open uh, five days, six days a week because they have so much people. And the, and the products are really uh, a lot cheaper than in the regular supermarket because they don't have uh, they doesn't have, they don't have to make make a profit, and the farmers get paid better. So that's a win win system for me. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, definitely. What would you What would you say is like the the best and the fairest situation for agriculture then? Is it is it a situation like this for agriculture then supplying the the food chain? Let's say. Yeah, I think by um, um, eating more locally. Yeah. Um, you you tend to fix some problems by um, eating more seasonally, also, and by wasting less. Yeah. If you if if anyone uh, can do this or a small part of it, they're already going in the right direction. Cool. A moment for the beer, eh, Sander? Yeah, one question. Okay. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I think in the last episode or a couple of episodes ago, mm-hmm. we spoke with Samuel Levy. Oh, and nice. uh, I think we also drawn the conclusion that locally produced foods are often more expensive. But you you kind of try to make a point that that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, did you talk about it? why, it, why it was this way or not? No, I don't oh, think we went that far. Interested didn't in it. get quite to that. I, I'm of the... Of the opinion that I think it is can be a lot more expensive to shop locally. Yeah, it's a, I think it can be quite an exclusive uh, thing. It's not always the fairest thing, mm-hmm. but, but the, I think it's I think about uh, scale. You know, it's if about you do scale, it on a big scale, and, and also you use pesticides and monocultures. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like beer. You know, if you only produce one style in a yeah. massive brewery, it's mm-hmm. way cheaper than uh, yeah. the the stuff that we do. Definitely. What I learned and and. Of course, probably this is not true in all the cases, but in a lot of cases, if you buy cheap food, someone will lose. Yeah. So, um, for instance, what you told, like the the monocultures, then um, we w- would have probably less insects, and we're more. Um, there's more a reason for uh, sick sicknesses of the, of the of the grains, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, if you buy really cheap shrimps. Yeah, they probably went to Morocco to be uh, peeled. peeled, indeed, and then back. So, yeah, and then the people get paid really a lot less, of course, over there. So, most of the time, when food is cheap, someone loses. Yeah, yeah, yeah but that's a realization that that's I think realization. not everybody uh, no, sure. not clicked with. And, and no. then that's that's what maybe the problem is: is that the food system is so uh, complex. Yeah, uh, these are then really uh, like. Uh, easy to understand examples but yeah. you have a lot of things that are way more complicated time for a quick break just to let you know where you can find more information on the podcast all previous episodes are available on our website which is audipus.com forward slash radio the podcast is also available by searching radio audipus on your podcast app if you want to get in contact with me drop a message to the address radio at audipus.com but for now, here's the second part of the Radio Oedipus podcast. The non-alcoholic beer. Yeah. Implosion by Toil. Oil. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's going there really easy, I must yeah, say. It is. It's mm-hmm. a very hoppy aroma. Very fruity. A bit, a bit cheesy nose that I think is also hop-derived. 
There's the, but it, it really reminds me of uh, opening a bag of hops and uh, just oh, smelling yeah. that. And sometimes yeah. can be a bit cheesy, especially when hops get cheesy. a bit older, uh, but have, haven't been used. And um, can be a bit. Don't you get that? No. What kind oh. of cheese am I looking for here? Yeah, young. Yeah, definitely young. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, I can... But yeah. I also thought I looked on the label. I, I had the impression there's a bit of this dairy thing going on. If maybe lactose was used, which mm-hmm. is often used in in uh, in beers to increase the body and mouthfeel, mm-hmm. because that's also what is it? Uh, no, it's not oh. on the label at least. So I suspect not. It should be on the label because okay. uh, people are allergic to that. Yeah, of course. Um, and uh, yeah, but it it the mouthfeel is nice. It has. Some length. The is beer. it for? Is it like then the lacto way of fermenting, or is oh, it milk sugar? Oh, milk sugar. Yeah, mm. lactose. Um, yeah, I, I, I like it a lot. I think yeah, it's a really good example of uh, what an alcohol-free, a modern alcohol-free beer. Mm-hmm. It's full of flavor. There's yeah. a, there's a lot. Like if it's not one of those uh, ones that feel like a they're, they're watered down or any. There's a real full big body there. Yeah, and. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. So this goes down real easy. Sometimes I have with alcohol-free beers that they tend to be too sweet and halfway mm. through uh, it starts to bother me. With this one, I don't. But still, it has the, the body mouthfeel to, uh, to uh, yeah, bring enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not sure if I would finish three or four, but uh, mm. this one goes down real easy. Yeah, I yeah. think it's also a summer uh, summery one, right? I can definitely see myself sitting in a terrace yeah. drinking this well, beer. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree, but I think that's uh, that's, that's also what people <laughs> often say about our beers. That oh, really? a lot of them are yeah typical summer beers, but mm. and and with these like sort of bright, fruity, stone fruity, mm-hmm. tropical fruity hop flavors, maybe you think of summer or maybe yeah. we nudged. Yeah, the, yeah, and and I'm also, but this is really personal that uh, I I can drink this any time of the year. <laughs> so, and, and same also with dark beers, what people uh, tend to associate with yeah. winter yeah. or Maybe fall. It's indeed and, a, uh, yeah, there's a time and moment for every beer throughout yeah. the year. <laughs> sure, I agree. I have an interesting fact about this beer, actually. Okay. Uh, the yeast that was used in it was developed by a company called C.H.R. Hansen, and that company is the world's most sustainable food ingredients company, which I thought <laughs> had maybe some uh, echoes to our conversation here today. And why is that? Do you know it as well? I, can't, I don't know why, but okay. I, I, how how does that go for you, Sander? Would you... Uh, is this common to work with another company to develop a yeast or is this like a, a, a special collaboration, do you think? Um, we have not done that in the past. We yeah. did our project with Micropia, but oh, we course, just went yeah. into the zoo and harvested mm. uh, yeah. microbes and nice. uh, cultured those up. Uh, I know that Toil also had, um, they uh, harvested a bread strain from, I think, a pear tree uh that they've used in uh some of their beers but uh um, what from a pear tree uh brettanomyces yeast oh. so it's a wild yeast yeah. um yeah i i i would be curious to know to, especially to to for other beer ingredients i i can i can understand because i think if you have barley malt which is the main brewing grain then you can have this malted for two certain specs. That's what a lot of brewers do. And okay, uh, especially the big ones who make one mm-hmm. beer, we need this within these specs. And can you do that? Okay, mm-hmm. yes or no. Uh, hops is also, 
I think a bit more, uh, bit less control in the processing, more in the growing. Mm -hmm. But still, you can look for certain parameters and say, okay, this is what I like, and mm. this is what I buy from you, and uh, that one uh, uh, rather not. But yeast, I think, is so you have all these different yeast strains, and still, I think they uh, reproduce also asexually, so they clone themselves, or one grows out of the other. Uh, being genetically identical, uh, you can maybe also uh, cross them. Uh, I'm sure mm. you can. That's a, a lab uh, mm. uh, effort, uh, I would say. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's probably quite... Um, uh, I know they do this in labs. And uh, there is one uh, in Leuven, I'm sure, uh, that does this uh, without also... GMO, but just by basically crossbreeding and a lot, a lot wow. at the same time. And then looking for yeast that are potentially more alcohol tolerant or producing less alcohol and oh. then stop fermenting and not ah. digesting certain sugar. So yeah. I, I assume stuff like that uh, can happen in a lab. And yeah, we've never done it, but I did uh, think about it, like maybe at some day or at some point. Uh, but th the thing is, there are so many yeasts around already by so many different... That's been a thing also of the... I think following the craft beer <coughs> movement that, um, uh, yeah, more yeast labs started up on like really small scale. Oh, really? We're, when we started, we're as only a few around. As a reaction to craft beer? Hmm? As a reaction to craft beer? To supply all the wow. small brewers, mm -hmm. but also home brewers, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a lot of more yeast available these days uh, than uh, when when we started home brewing, so uh, close to 10 years ago. Sam, we were aware of each other because of uh, we collaborated together. We've been growing hops at, at, at um, and. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, curious to see what you think about the the fresh hop pilsner that Sander brewed using the hops that were grown there. Um, yeah, maybe Sander first. How was that whole process for you, collaborating with Mindstadstown? And what insights did growing hops give you into brewing? It's not easy. No, yeah. I think I can relate with uh, what uh, Sam just said about, you know, you start to appreciate the thing that you uh could take for granted you know i know uh there must be brewers around that uh, buy their hops and buy a variety a b or c and then uh expect it to be exactly the same as the previous mm -hmm. time they used it and um yeah so we've we've used uh harvests uh of hops for three years now mm. did different beers with them uh also used them at different stages in the brewing process and the harvests were also different every year, yeah. like in quantity, True. but I think also in quality. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, it it is, there are all these moments throughout the growing season where you can make a difference, I guess, mm -hmm. and where you, you can, uh, yeah, m maneuver or... or uh, treat the plant in a certain way that it leads to certain results, mm -hmm. and uh, and I think that's also the main reason. And we're slowly <laughs> trying or figuring out uh, how this works and and understand it slowly, step by step, a bit more. But um, yeah, and that, but that was also <clears throat> the main reason, I guess, I wanted to get involved mm -hmm. um, uh, because. I think a lot of our beers uh, rely on hoppy flavors and I, uh, and we get most of our hops from the other side of the globe in mm. the northwestern uh, part of the United States. And um, 
yeah, there's a big distance, of course. I've been there once on um, um, during harvest, and that also made me realize that the the, the little control I had, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as a small brewer from the Netherlands, you know, what I'm going to do, and mm-hmm. uh, how can I ever understand what that what's going through that farmer's mind, and how he can produce the product that I like to use, mm-hmm. or I can make the best beer with. And I think doing this around the corner from where we are, uh, yeah, it, it's not going to bring us the new Citra or mm. the new expressive, uh, super exciting, popular hop variety, but it does give us the understanding what uh, what work is done in the field and how that affects the plant and mm-hmm. in the end, the beer. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. What, what, it, um, I was wondering, what did you learn then of growing the hops at Mönchengladstein? <coughs> Like, um, like, did you also use that knowledge? Like, I, I, I can imagine you use the the knowledge in this beer, but maybe also in other beers. Or, yeah, I think it's more soon. Yeah, I think it's it, it is uh, it is soon. I think three years. <laughs> uh, they they've been pretty different. Also, yeah. uh, in the weather and, and during the growing mm-hmm. season yeah. and drier and irrigation has changed. We've we've done things very different last mm-hmm. year last growing season than the years before it's a lot before, harder when... than you thought mm-hmm. <laughs> if you learn it's a lot harder than you thought <laughs> to grow hops no yeah if you want to do if you want to get most out of it it is <clears throat> and i think it also i hope uh to we also get our hops from hop farmers from belgium mm-hmm. germany uh, Slovakia. Uh, I visit some of them, uh, but I'd like to do more. And I think I can have a <clears throat> more in-depth conversation with that farmer <clears throat> after being around the hop garden uh, mm. at Stadstein, uh mm. for a couple of years yeah. in different parts of the growing season and knowing what we can do with it, like this beer or the beer where we use it. Uh, so this beer is only dry hopped with the, the unkilned hops. So straight from the field into a beer that was ready. Mm-hmm. That was our Oedipus Pilsner. We added extra hops uh, uh, in after the beer was done, basically. Gives more aroma. And yeah, it's a mixture of hops. So I yeah. uh, hop varieties that we grow there. Uh, but I think they uh, th- what this beer gained was certain floral characteristics that I really appreciate. Um, but um, yeah, so... I think I think what I get most out of it is being there in those last few weeks yep. of the growing season and seeing, okay, uh, uh, peeling a hop cone, opening it up, rubbing it, mm-hmm. and then, okay, I get more of this. And then you see in those, in that time window uh, of those last weeks that you see it developing and some flavors coming in, some others going out. Yeah. Some you really want, some really you don't. And if you, if I would be on a, in Germany on a on a field, I think maybe I can and do that yeah. in that same period mm-hmm. uh, or a couple relate of years. To it. Yeah, relate yeah. to it and, yeah, and yeah. say, okay, these are the hops we need because we want to make Pilsner with your hops, and we are looking for this. And uh, so maybe a week later, harvesting would be better for us. Mm-hmm. Magical and and the. Collaboration for you, Sam. How, how how was that for you, and why did you did you as uh, the director of Mindstadstown think it was a good idea to collaborate with a local brewery? Um, yeah, I, I definitely like it because uh, not that often we see a direct result or taste even a direct result of the things we do. 
Yeah. So a lot of things go into the kitchens of people. And now mm. uh, we are drinking this really nice beer yeah. with hops from my stadt. So that was really nice. And it also is, uh, again, uh, uh, a way of educate, educating people. Yeah. In this case, uh, Sander and his team. Um, and that's really nice. And that's, I think, what we should do. It's not that we have, again, the illusion that we can make all the hops for Oedipus. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really nice that if you have the feeling, Sander, that you can have a more in-depth conversation. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a big win, I think. I was wondering if you could discuss a little bit more about what the slow food movement is. Uh, like, like this, the slow youth food network <laughs> or whatever. Spin, 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 spin. It's easier to call it that. Definitely. Uh, how that how that started and what, what it is, because I obviously don't really understand what it is. <laughs> how it started, yeah, you should ask. You should have asked Samuel. No, but I can explain it as well. Slow but food, you were the treasury for... I was a for, treasurer for, for, a for, a few, for a few years indeed. Yeah. Uh, but I was not there at the beginning. But I, yeah. of course, heard the, heard the stories. Um, so let's start at the beginning. Uh, slow food uh, started in uh, Italy, in Rome actually, um, 37 years ago by a guy named Carlo Petrini. And um, there are the... the, the, the the thing was that there was being uh, a McDonald's was being opened at the the Spanish stairs mm-hmm. in Rome, and Carlo Petrini said, "What is this? We have such a rich food culture uh, in Italy. What what is this fast fu- fast food uh, chain uh, doing over here?" So he organized an event, and he, they made a lot of pasta, and they were uh, handing out all these plates of pasta to the people to, and and having nice conversations and having the conversation like, oh, this pasta is this shape and it comes from that village and we have this cheese with mm-hmm. it, which comes from that village and is, is made by this nice farmer with this, uh, this goats and stuff. Uh, and same for the potatoes and as, as, uh, as Italians can talk about food and really as a uh, counter reaction to the, 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 the fast food. Mm-hmm. Now, this this evolved and 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 got also it it really widespread all around the world. They're now active in 192 countries wow. all over the world, and they do a lot of different projects, but mostly about um, working on a good, uh, clean, and fair food system for everybody. Um, so um, again, this also relates with what we talked about earlier that. If you, for instance, buy cheap food, then someone loses. So if you have a good food system and a fair food system, um, probably someone will not lose from it. Um, yeah. Um, so they did that and then um, they got to the Netherlands and, and we as youngsters, we always like to say, yeah, then they were eating a lot and talking mm. a lot, which is nice, but we need some more activism. So that's when uh, a few people um, started Spin. Um, and it now is existent for already 11 years um, and is a big network growing and growing. There are the local departments, so you have around 10 in the whole of the Netherlands. Uh, for instance, Svin Amsterdam, but also Svin Brabant and uh, Svin uh, Deventer, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. And they're organizing their own events. You have the Academy, which is really, I would say, the backbone of Svin. Um, so it's... a uh, Every year they have an academy with uh, uh, 25 people, all different um, people from the food chain. So both uh, cooks, chefs, and, but also uh, farmers, people that work in retail, retail designers, 
We hebben het als consumers. Um, and they travel. Still brewers? <laughs> brewers. Um, Rick, one of our founders, yeah. uh, joined. I think uh, as well. Back in the day. Oh, yeah. did they? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I nice. know Rick was there, but I didn't know if there were any brewers oh. after this. But indeed, Rick was also part of Swin. Um, and, um, or is, I think you are that for life. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Swin if you life. want, yeah, exactly. Uh, if you want it or not. Um, so the academy is the backbone and you make, you, you travel through the food system. Um, so you go, for instance, you dive one day into fishery. So you visit the boat, a trawler or something, but you also talk to someone from the, in the Ministry of Food here in the Netherlands. And you try to see how complex the food system, even in a small chain like fisheries, um, is. Uh, so that's really interesting. And it really opened up my eyes, mm. seeing that um, you could do lots, lots more with the thing I love, food, mm. than only cooking it and eating it. That there's so much more. And that you can also, for instance, uh, find a job uh, mm. working uh, as a food professional. So that was really nice. Uh, and indeed, I sticked, and I was uh, had the pleasure of being the treasurer for a few years, mm. uh, and now I'm a little bit more. What was your kind of main responsibility as like the treasurer? What uh, were you doing? Controlling the yeah. the director mostly, yeah, and then uh, exploring new ideas to get money to do more, yeah, nice, nice uh, actions. Again, it's just like promoting and educating people on food systems. It yeah. sounds like, yeah. Um, a lot of different things. For instance, we also uh, said if we are promoting a, a good food system, then you have this big event in uh, Torino. Every two years, it's called Terra Madre Salona de Gusto. It's really nice to go. You have also a lot of um, people that do beverages from all over the world, like wines and spirits and beers. Um, and a lot of good food. Um, and, and we were... We were definitely going there, but we were also thinking, how, how can we... Uh, it, for us, it didn't f feel good to um, fly there mm -hmm. um, while working on a nicer food system. So we decided to bike there. It was really nice. We, we biked to um, uh, Torino from uh, from uh, Limburg in uh, nice. 13 Sick. days, I think. Nice. Yeah, it was really nice. And, and also making a campaign out of it for like inspiring other people to travel also travel slow, not only eat eat slow, but also travel slow. So these are the key things we do. And on the, on the, on the go, we visited uh, farmers, uh, winemakers. Mm. This was, this was well, one of the most ex amazing experiences of my life because we there's a Facebook group of a lot of people from Slow Food all over the world. And we just posted the picture with their route, or how, we, how we would like to, to ride the bike. And we said, who can offer us a place to sleep? And a lot of people said, oh, you can sleep at our, our place, our place, but people we never met. We we're only like having the same mm. vision. And um, yeah, we went to a lot of different places and we were <laughs> we were not the nicest guests mm. because we we're super hungry and really tired. So we came in uh, to a farm or a really nice <laughs> chef and then we were like, uh, eating everything yeah. and then going to bed and then leaving again the next Early. morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were the best, the baddest uh, guests uh, possible. But still, it was so nice, and all the reactions were were amazing. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, it just just was great feel to see that not only we, for instance, at my Stadstein, um, but all these little companies and people that uh, are working on 
changing and this thing for good. But everywhere in the world, people are fighting for this cause. So that was really nice to see and feel. How much activism is still uh, involved in the movement or Good the question. Um, yeah, as I said, I've been more in the background That's what lately. It, sort of, right? Definitely. What you yeah, just yeah, said. yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, it is. It is quite interesting, I think, because when we grew older, we also became more establishment. Mm -hmm. So uh, now our director, Lia, uh, Liana. Uh, she gets invited to uh, talk with the minister mm -hmm. and uh, be in uh, The Hague and have all these conversations. And sometimes uh, some people think, oh, this is, is standing in the way of us being activists. Mm. Um, and so I think there is still activism inside it. And every now and then it pops up. But it is also maybe a little bit less than before. Um, but it is also because we're a really flat organization. If you want to do something... Uh, you just do it. So a couple of people did um, this, uh, this, the beginning of the Corona uh, uh, thing. Uh, you had a lot of waste, uh, not, not waste. You have a lot of leftover uh, potatoes mm -hmm. because we were eating a lot less fries um, because mostly when you eat fries, you eat it like in a snack bar or in a restaurant. So we had a lot, we had a really big pile of potatoes in the Netherlands. Um, and then they organized the Aardappelberg. So here in, the, in all over the country, actually, but also here in Amsterdam North, they just piled up uh, potatoes and said, yeah, you can grab as much as you want and do a donation mm -hmm. for the farmer. So these kind of things, it's of course really nice to let people see that, oh, wow, there's a big pile of potatoes, but it's also, you get a lot of media attention. It's also, also a part of the activism that's still there. Yeah, yeah. cool. What is the best way to kind of improve the visibility of uh, these uh, producers? Because that's often the problem, mm, right? Like, interesting, yeah. Um, why more people don't use their local farmer or their local cheesemaker, for that matter? I think there are a lot of different routes yeah. that, that can go there. But um, do you? Where do you buy your, your groceries? Uh, I would say... Five days out of seven days from the supermarket. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I, uh, yeah. And then my coffee, my bread, cheese uh, on special occasions. I buy my, yeah, my bread, my coffee and bread from Kepler, mm -hmm. previous guest, mm -hmm. shout out to Case. Uh, <laughs> brought my cheese from, from Marjorie Kef from yep. time to time. Nice. Um, yeah. But I, for me, I'm kind of that's that's a luxury when I do that. Mm -hmm. it, it, it's yeah, every day. What would I'm, you need I'm, to to? Would you even like it? And if so, to for instance buy more locally. Yeah. So I'd, what do you need? Yeah, I don't. opening hours or opening hours. Yeah, it's the yeah Europe's opening hours, and it's just the convenience of the supermarket. Mm -hmm. It's maybe because I'm lazy. This is this is probably this is probably uh, the sh the short uh, answer really, mm -hmm. but. Uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's the convenience of it. I want I want to have it all in one place. Um, yeah, which is which is is me being lazy, really. Yeah, but even if you want to be lazy, you can have yeah. it delivered to your doorstep. Yeah, uh, for instance, by Stadsgrondeboer or Hofweb. Yeah. So um, uh, yeah, that, I, I think it is really different mm. for a lot of people. So you also see the. The boxes, like Hello Fresh and stuff, they're also booming. Yeah, uh, this could be a solution, but I think for for other people, it's more uh, markets. So, mm. for instance, a lot of markets in Amsterdam are also um, decreasing. Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, so there, there are a lot of different routes to uh, put more producers in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. this podcast is uh, yeah, also podcast. a nice way. I saw quite some nice uh, people that, that that showed up here, right? Yeah, yeah. I just think, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I think what I think would it would be better if more of these local producers were in the supermarket. Mm -hmm. If there was if there was a situation like you were talking about about the cooperative supermarket, yeah. then I would be there because it would be uh, it would be more convenient. I, I actually don't mind paying a couple of extra euros uh, mm -hmm. uh, every week on to get proper good ingredients because. I'm someone who actually does taste the difference as, as well in these in these uh, ingredients usually. Yeah, that's what I was about to say about your parsnip. Oh yeah, big one did. actually. Very big parsnip. <laughs> so uh, with the soil on it still. Uh, yeah. So I hope you also taste the difference. I will, and, I will. Uh, and then maybe that can be a little changing. Uh, yeah, change my perspective. <laughs> maybe that's what I need. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's what I need. Um, I do have one more question before we, we wrap it up. Um, we spoke with uh, Samuel Levy, obviously, about uh, food culture as mm -hmm. well. And because you have a love of food, uh, I think it would be fun to ask you, what do you think Dutch food culture is? Oh, that's nice. Because you were, you were saying about it, the Italian, I thought it was quite a nice story about they were promoting pasta. If you were going to do it in the Netherlands, what would you uh, promote? Um, I... I try to teach my friends that we have a lot of nice products in the in Netherlands. So, for instance, I would I'm, in this season especially. I would I'm, I love making a 100% Dutch uh, risotto with uh, parochort. Uh, What's the uh, English word for that? Sandra, I'm looking at you. <laughs> Help me out. Tough one. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that one before. Yeah, isn't it? Uh, no, it's not. It's a bit. It's also a grain. Like uh, you have this uh, barley. Okay. Pearl barley. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah. 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 Pearl. But spaghort. Is it barley actually? No. Maybe Bill something barley. like that. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, okay. So and a nice Dutch cheese. <laughs> um, like a real old, uh, flaky, with the salt with the salt uh, crystals yeah, inside. Yeah. The amino acids. Yeah. Is yeah it? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, some pumpkin or or, or parsnip. Mm -hmm. Um, carrots carrots you have a full dutch risotto mm -hmm. i think that's that's always nice to also challenge yourself mm. like this mm. um yeah there would be a nice dish that you can make uh, maybe yeah, it's giving me some ideas for what to do with my huge uh <laughs> but um yeah all in all thank you very much for joining us on the show thank it's you been, for having uh, me it's been great and I hope you didn't mind uh, being pulled away from the farm for for an afternoon <laughs> <laughs> no it was lovely thank you so much guys yeah now go back <laughs> <laughs> care for the hops thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Radio Oedipus podcast a big thanks to Sam and also to Sander if you're curious to learn more about Mindstadstown, you can head over to their website, which is mindstadstown.nl. And also the Slow Food Youth Network is available by heading to slowfoodyouthnetwork.nl. All links are available in the show notes. You can find all episodes of the show on our website, which is oedipus.com forward slash radio, and by searching Radio Oedipus on your podcast app. If you use Spotify or Apple Podcasts, make sure to like and subscribe to keep up to date. The music used on today's show is written and composed by the one and only Onla Eye Music. And tune in next time for more explorations into the culture of beer.